When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mmm, 64 slices of American cheese. Oh, hey, Jason, how's it going? Um, good. I'm- are you really going to eat 64 slices of American cheese? I'm going to start right now and then throughout the podcast. I'm going to get I'm going to get through it as we go on. Awesome. Well, that's at least different from us normally drinking. I guess that's a nice change. Yeah, I feel like my belly will be thankful for my handiwork. Mm. Mm, yes, it will be. It will be very much. Jason, who the fuck did you bring this week? If you say it's Ian Curtis and he's going to be real sad and make us sad, I'm going to be sad. No, Ian Curtis actually, he's, I don't know where Ian Curtis is. He, look, I, I don't want to, like, uh, wait, look, it's, saying... it, it's, sorry, it's just uncomfortable, but he, he killed himself up there. So we don't know where he went. So wait, did he, or did he actually never die? I mean, that's possible too. I, there's been rumors that he and Elvis uh, have a, um, a burger stand in Missouri. And JFK. And JFK. Well, JFK Jr. Both of his father and son operation. Yeah. Yeah. And but. JFK Jr., he just can't shut up about how much he loves Donald Trump. That's all he loves talks him. about. Loves him. It's funny, that plane crash kind of changed his way of thinking, you know? Yeah. He's like, ow, the bump on my head makes me, turned me into a Republican. That sounds like a pretty funny sitcom, by the I way. I mean, that's that's a funny sitcom. Yeah, that's, or like a best-selling uh, uh, true biopic movie. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Jason, who he got? Who he got? Who have I got? Well, I had to go through uh, the roll decks because yeah. nobody wanted to come down and talk about control. Because, I like I say, Ian, Ian wasn't really liked up there. Uh, his yeah. music didn't go over real well. I don't even know why he went there anyways. I mean, I think he may have just been doing it to troll people. Mm-hmm. I got one person who was willing to talk to us today. Because okay. he's always willing to talk to us. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ricardo Montalban. Oh. Hello, my friends. It is good to see you once more. How are you, Brendan? You are looking well since I saw you last. Uh, you're, looking, you're looking wonderful, Mr. Oh, Montalban. Oh, I would tell you, the, the beaches... In Republican heaven are certainly the best, and my tan is fantastic. I have been working out, as you can see. I have regained my Star Trek II chest. I I, I see that. You look wonderful. Yes, yes, yeah, I yeah. do, I do. And I, I, you watched a movie about a young Ian Curtis last week called Control, you did. Yes, are you familiar? I am familiar with Mr. Curtis. He had come and had drinks with me at various points. An interesting young man. Very, very fascinating, you know, but mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. A, not of this world or the next. I did you uh, did you like teach him Klingon or like what? I was in one Star Trek film and one episode of Star Trek. So that's a yes. I taught him how to speak as Khan once did. I teach. I taught him how to speak Indian. You see, because oh, Khan okay. was an Indian man, and I, of course, am not okay. an Indian man. But I was brown and available at the time. You see. Oh, okay. Oh dear. Yes. Um, uh, J- Jason, uh, Jason, do you have anything yeah. to ask, uh, Mister Montalban? 
Yeah, I wanted to know, uh, how did that Chrysler deal come about? You used to sell those cars. Ah, it is a wonderful story. I once uh, had a threesome with Lee Iacocca and Charo. Oh, and that's it? That's it? That's how you got the job? Yes, yes. Lee Iacocca, when he came, he was like, I will give you a contract! And I took him up on it because I needed the money. It was uh, it was a rough time in my life. I was I was eating a lot of Hostess cupcakes at the time. Well, actually, you know what's funny, uh, Mr. Montalban, as you said, you, you Khan was uh, Indian. Um, it's yes. interesting because we are talking about uh, Slumdog Millionaire. So you must have ah. some insight. You must have some insight on this film. Yes, yes, I have seen many films from India, and I must say that this is one of them. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. Why didn't Danny Boyle put a zombie in this movie? That's what I want to know, my friend. We'll ask him. Danny Boyle, where are you? He's not dead. No, he's not, no. unfortunately. Oh, but I must... I mean, not unfortunately for you, Mr. Montalban, not for the world. I must return to Republican heaven now, Brendan. I have an appointment to expose myself to a waitress. Good day. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> oh, he's even problematic in heaven. Well, I mean, he said he had an appointment, so... Oh, okay. So she's expecting it. I, she's expecting it. So I don't know now, if it's necessarily a bad thing. Now, wait, is she expecting it or is it just an appointment in his book and no one else's? It's a really good question. And I feel like there's going to have to be an investigation by the Republican heaven Picayune about this. They have a newspaper up there. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Republican heaven. Yeah, but I mean, they barely investigate. I mean, it's a Republican heaven police force. What do you think true. they're going to do? What are they going to do? They don't want to lose access. Yeah. Oh, I'm excuse me. Oh, are you white or close to that? Uh, you're good. It's literally that Family Guy joke where he holds up like the great the color grading chart to Peter, and he's like, "Oh, you're good." <laughs> exactly. So, Jason, this is a podcast. This is a podcast about British film. It's called For Screen and Country. And I said that you're Jason, and I am Brendan. That is correct. And uh, and and we normally on this show, how we began this journey is we talked about movies on the BFI Top 100. That is the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All British Time. That's correct. But now we are done with that. We are talking about the Empire Top 100 list of British films, the ones that aren't on the BFI Top 100 list. And we're trying to make some judgment calls here to yeah. see if maybe some of these movies should replace some of the old fogey movies on that other list. That's a that's our plan, and we're going to do it. Because there's definitely a few that got to go, Brendan. We know this. We know this. We know the few that got to go. So, Clockwork Orange, your time is up. <laughs> your days are numbered. <laughs> <laughs> JK, it's there forever. Um but yeah, yeah, those there's definitely. I mean, there are some on the chopping block that ma no matter how this goes, we'll find a way to get them out of there. Um, mm. We already have a couple guesses, we have a couple maybes, we have a few no's. Yeah. So now we're gonna move on to this week's movie, which is of course Slumdog Millionaire. And just before we do that, we got to read some comments regarding last week's episode, the movie in question, Control. Guys, Jason just ran the fuck out of here i don't know what happened he was like uh-uh you're doing these comments by yourself listen it's definitely not a situation where we record these things in weird order and he wasn't available for this it's definitely the situation where i we i we got ready for comments and he just ran out but don't worry i got you covered we're gonna read some comments about last week's movie which was of course control and here we effing go Lena Gelman says, I love this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, though, but I love Joy Division and New Order. Well, you got some biases, Lena. I know no one's saying it, but I'm saying it. You got some biases. All right. No, thank you for the comment. 
Uh, Joe Birch says, I know Sam Riley, the actor who plays Ian Curtis. Well, I doubt he would remember me, but he used to have a band called 10,000 Things, and I was in one of their music videos in a crowd scene. Though in the final edit, you can only see my arm. Well, I just got to say to you, Joe, I was an extra in a movie, and you could see my whole face. So I guess I win this round. Just kidding, Joe. Thank you for the comment. Sharon Horwat, uh, of course, uh, legendary commenter Sharon Horwat says, definitely broody, possibly a little pretentious, but it's fine. You know what? That's fair. I could see that point of view. I could see how people, I can see how someone would say, you know, well, this movie is, is fine. Isn't, you know, nothing to write home about. And it's fine. I, I, I liked it a lot, but you know, there's just some movies you could say like, you know, I like this movie a lot, but if you, if you didn't, I get it. And I get it, Sharon. I get it. Ross P.M. Weagle, I hope I pronounced that right, said Peter Hook was doing a Reddit AMA a few months ago, and someone asked him how accurate the movie was. He said it was so accurate that it was hard to watch, which actually surprised me because I thought we said that members of the band, at the time anyway, uh, were saying that it wasn't super accurate. But, you know, retrospective, time erases, time changes, we move on. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Nick Domino says, I prefer the 2007 Joy Division documentary directed by Grant G. Oh, I'd love to see that. Joy Division documentary. Hmm. I'd be really interested in seeing the stuff that's not in the movie because obviously, you know, they didn't put everything in this movie. So I would uh, I would like to uh, I would like to view that. Nick, make it happen. And finally, and listen, I'm going through these comments quick, folks, because it's just me. There's no one to banter with here except for me. That'd be weird if I bantered with myself, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Brendan, shut up. Last comment, John Tripp. John Tripp says, I don't know if it's accurate because I wasn't there. It is good, though. <laughs> you weren't there, John, so you don't know if it's accurate. I, I, when, I name, when people say accurate, I mean, I don't think you need to be there. I think it's just, you know, it's accurate. If it's, you know, corroborated by, by many people, then, you know, you can have a pretty good sense of its accuracy. But, uh, yeah, and I'm sure there were some scenes in the movie that were very obviously not accurate that were, you know, changed to to um for dramatic reasons you know you know movies guys i'm not here to talk to you about movies you know movies and speaking of movies it's time to move on now i'm gonna let jason back in the room i'm gonna find him and i'm gonna drag him back in here because we're about to talk about this week's movie which is of course slumdog millionaire He's in the slums, but he's gonna be a millionaire. It's Dev Patel. And he was in The Last Airbender. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> Going from this to Airbender is really weird, but he did it because he's Dev Patel and he is super cool. Dev Patel! Dev Patel! He wasn't lying and Mariah watched it. She got really sad and she cried. And that song can only mean one thing, Jason. Like I said, we are going to be talking about Slumdog Millionaire. This is the first movie in a while that was a major awards winner. This was a, this swept like everything. This was a huge year for this movie. This was a huge year. And I got, I got to say, I looked back at 2008, not an amazing year for movies. (laughs) There was, of course, The Dark Knight, which I think was uh, criminally robbed of not being even nominated for Best Picture. That was insane. But then you had things like, I think all the Best Picture nominees were like 
pretty good movies. Like you had like the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which was pretty mm-hmm. good. The Reader, which no one remembers anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frost Nixon, which was fine. And like, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to get through get to this early, but I just want to kind of set the stage. Oh, we also had Milk, which was pretty oh, yes. good, elevated by a really good Sean Penn performance, mm-hmm. but also stolen because I think Mickey Rourke had it that year for The Wrestler. Yeah. I think he should have won. But anyway, that's besides the point. We're talking about Slumdog Millionaire. It's a Danny Boyle film. Jason, I know you've heard of this one because everybody's Ooh. fucking heard of this movie. Oh, but, yeah. But did you, had you seen this before? Had you, did you know what it was about? Like, what, what do you I had got? not seen it. I mean, literally, I think all I knew about it was is that it involved a guy going on who wants to be a millionaire in India and winning a bunch of money. I didn't know beyond that. I didn't have any idea of the structure of the movie or how it was or what story it was trying to tell. I literally just knew that. And I'm sure you must have heard, maybe you've heard this, I don't know, that this movie was described often as a crowd pleaser. Yes. Like an, like an Oscar winner, cra- easy, an easy Oscar winning crowd pleaser choice, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, this might have the heaviest material for yeah. a crowd pleaser. I think I've ever the crowd seen. pleaser part, Brendan, really just comes from how the movie ends and then the fact that it ends spoiler alert with a rather intricate dance sequence which is awesome and it and definitely leaves you it allows you to leave the theater feeling very pleased it's uh, crazy sure. though that like all this dark 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 shit happens and the last three minutes there's like you said an elaborate dance sequence and people are like oh i guess i did have a fun time mm. it's like when they it's, it's like they should start doing that like on uh like fucking terms of endearment they should have put like a blooper reel at the end <laughs> Yeah, for sure. No, this like is a... Schindler's List or something. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> oh, is... oh, my my gun is stuck. <laughs> to to call this movie just crap pleaser though, like it it's to undersell it. This is a movie that is a great example of a movie that stealth feeds you some like history and culture. I think mm-hmm. like to give you it gives you the viewer a sense of of what it's like to grow up uh, a member of a very low class person in poverty in India, uh, to kind of get a little taste of that experience and what that's like and, and how it's not all bad. Like there's, there's good to be found there, but of how hard it can be. Um, well, Jace, tell us what this movie's about. Basically just as maybe break it down a little bit, break it down. Well, it was, it follows the, uh, our main character of course is Jamal Malik played mm-hmm, by Dev played. Patel. And yep. he is first uh, movie, grew- by the way, debut first movie debut and he grows up in the we see him as a young kid and he's growing up in the uh in the slums of bombay or mumbai i believe um with his brother salim and his mother and they you know they spend their days getting into trouble and having fun and getting chased by cops and living a very almost oliver-esque life in some way like the the fun version of oliver's life it, um, the movie does have a dickens-esque feel to it i thought. oh sure especially yeah. so Early on in the movie, though, the uh, we experience a little slice of the Bombay riots, which happened uh, in the wake of. So I don't know a whole lot about Indian history, but from what I understand, uh, it, it stemmed from there was a mosque that had been built in India in the 16th century, obviously by Muslims, and there was the dispute that had been going on ever since about that that land was actually meant for a Hindu temple. Uh, Hindus and Muslims have had a long and difficult history in in uh, India, mm-hmm. and. So in this, uh, so this, yeah, this mosque was there and in, was it in the nineties? They fucking, a group of, of Hindu nationalists, like ultra religious nationalists got together and tore down, like they just went and ripped down the fucking mosque. And this caused like a bunch of Muslims to get very angry, understandably so. And they 
protested what was going on and it just devolved into like riots that lasted for days and days and days and lots of people got killed more muslims i would say than hindus but a lot of hindus died as well well and, yeah because we should say that the protests from the muslims were not necessarily violent protests yeah not they necessarily were, they, were, they, were, they were they were protesting the destruction of the mosque yeah they were very angry but then the retaliation from those protests by the hindu people yeah i would characterize as very violent they showed up with like sticks and everything and yes you know yeah. And so the thing, that's the thing that early on that it's not, I don't think it's outwardly said, but if you know anything about India, Pakistan history, I mean, not only are Jamal and, and, and Salim, Salim, I almost said Samil, not only are Jaleen, uh, not only are Jamal and Salim like poor and like low class, they're also Muslim. So they're like at the bottom of the ladder, right, in, in India at that point. Because India, if you know anything about Indian society, they have a class, uh, I guess it's got a caste system. Right. It's existed for a lot of years, thousands of years. And it categorizes people into five very, like, specific tiers of person. And it's like, that's your caste. You can't advance above, above it or below it. And depending on your caste, it depends on your function and respect in society. Um, and like I say, Muslim people are even below the worst of that, or the lowest of the low because they're Muslim, they're not Hindu. And obviously a lot of conflicts. I mean, India was born, at, India and Pakistan were born out of, you know, Indian independence and how the, and Muslims wanted their own state as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy thing. Indian history is fascinating. I wish I knew more about it. Yeah, so so that's going on. And uh, we, we kind of watched like their journey. Well, their mother gets killed. I don't think we said that specifically, but she gets like, yeah, slapped in the the face during the riots. She dies. So they have to like strike out on their own and they kind of join up with a group of like ne'er do wells. Like, literally, it's like Oliver. It's like a bunch of kids running around stealing shit. And then they eventually get kind of brought into this uh, organization run by a guy who calls himself Mamo. Maman. Mamo? Like, I think it's French for, it looks like French for Mamo. See, I said my man because all I could picture was like Denzel Washington saying, my man. My man. So in fact, yeah, they're like sleeping on a beach. This is after this. So I should say before this point, they have, they've hooked up with a third musketeer because they're also super into the three musketeers, or at least uh, uh, Jamal is. That's a, a bit that he, he read that in class and whatever. And him and Samil and Salim. And him and Salim were like the two or two of the musketeers, Arthos and Porthos. And then they meet this girl named Latika, um, who's standing out in the rain. And and despite Salim's warning, he uh, Jamal brings her in. And uh, uh, so, so she gets out of the rain and sleeps there with them. And then they become friends and they're kind of in this kid gang. But then they end up get to, getting joined into this fucking organization. Which, yeah. which you're wondering, it's like I got a van with a, an, it says it's an orphanage on the side of it, but then this dude in like fancy sunglasses and, and rich looking clothes comes up and he's like, you guys want to come with me? Here's a couple of Cokes, eh? Yeah. And they basically find out it's, you know, it's no good. I think we'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll get into the, we'll dive into the details of this a bit in a, in a second, but they find out it's no good. They escape. Um, and it just basically tracks. The, so at the same time as we're tracking this journey, though, we're also cutting back and forth between him um, being tortured yes. as an adult. Well, as that's 17 years old, not really an adult, yeah. but he's like 16, 17. And he's being tortured because he was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in India. And he's doing way too well as far mm. as they're concerned. Like they think he must be cheating, knowing the answers to all of these questions. And the way the movie's framed is, like you said, we're seeing all that stuff, but we're seeing it in order 
as we're going through the questions on Millionaire, yeah. we do flashbacks to see how he got that knowledge for that particular question. Every every question has some context that is relevant from his own life and reasons why he knows the answers to the questions that are asked of him. I got to say, just to start off, they're asking you to buy into a lot to begin yeah. this movie. I feel like it's a lot to to do. I feel like it's a lot because right at the beginning of the movie, they have this thing come on screen just like it would be a question on who wants to be a millionaire. And it says, Jamal Malik is one question away from winning 20 million rupees. How did he do it? A, he cheated. B, he's lucky. C, he's a genius. D, it is written. And spoiler yeah. alert, at the end, we come back up. It's the, it is written. Is, but that's also uh, a phrase that comes back up through the movie. And I, I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like that's like a colloquialism in India, like a thing that's said, like it is written, you know. Like, but they're essentially, yeah, they're essentially saying though, like it's fate and everything, his life experiences have brought him up to this point. Yeah. Again, I got to say, it's a lot to to lay out, I think, as a, as a premise to buy Maybe. into. I, I would argue that if you're the sort of person that accepts fate as a, a, a function of life, that, that there is shit that is predestined, that you're just working towards it, then it, it seems like it would make sense to me out the gate that you would go along with that as a premise. Maybe, as maybe. A, even though I'm a person that doesn't believe in that, I can accept that out the gate, like in, in terms of a fictional, because fiction is so often about destiny and fate and, and what the future holds and how we get there. But I have to like, okay, so I thought about this a lot because I, I, there was something about it that just wasn't connecting for me. And I think the first thing that it is, is I wish the movie was a little more clever about how they do this. So, so we're seeing the questions in order, obviously, because we you know he's on the game show. And the knowledge he got is like in the same order of his life. Like it's not, we're not cutting to like flashbacks at different points of his life. All these questions are in order as are all the different reasons why he knows these questions. I thought that was like, I don't know. I feel like they could have done something like where maybe the narrative of his past life wasn't like point A to point B to point C. Like I feel like they could have maybe he learned this when he was 20 or maybe he learned this when he's 15. Maybe he learned this when he was five. Maybe he learned this when he was eight and we can kind of connect it, the tissue ourselves. Like, I don't think we needs to be Brendan. in the same order. Brendan. Yeah. Who directed this movie, Brendan? Danny Boyle. Right. You know who didn't direct this movie? Quentin Tarantino. But it doesn't make <laughs> sense though. <laughs> but it doesn't have to make sense. It's, 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 a, it's an artistic it's an artistic choice, I think. Like, but I, I think, think, but I'm just this saying, movie. I, this isn't a piece of like super grounded, um, like realistic, gritty filmmaking in in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, obviously, he's trying to show the poverty of India, whatever. But I think the movie definitely, with this with this focus on fate, is a much more fantastical premise. And I can, ex I personally can accept it in that context. Of oh yeah, I know it's it's going through the thing of his life, but, but structurally, it makes it easier for the audience to keep track. Would this movie maybe have been as done as well if it was more nonlinear? I don't know, but it could have affected it. I just think I don't know. I just it just felt too. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like yeah. this movie is a fucking piece of shit and Danny Boyle's no, a hack. Not. I'm just saying like I don't it's not as interesting to me. And maybe it maybe it's the whole idea that it's based in fate, but it even if it had that if it, even if it had that whole thing where it's like, you know, it's 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 all about fate, it's all about your destiny and stuff. Even if it had that and it's still like mixed it up a little bit. I know, like you said, it's not Tarantino, but there could have been a, a better way. I don't know. I guess I was looking for a little bit more realism. And when I say yeah. that, I'm only saying that because there's so much grit in this movie and there there's is, so yeah. much brutality. 
that anytime the fantastical stuff kind of links up perfectly, I'm like, ah, it's like, I feel like they're, they want to have their cake and eat it too. Like, it just feels like, it feels like I, too much. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, but I can reiterate, I, I think know. it's consistent with the idea of like fate because he's, he's fated to to go through what he goes through and then eventually gets on millionaire. And the fact that it's now relevant to his life, he's fated to do that. And then when he wins, he gets the girl, like he finally is able to, to reunite with Latika and, and they can begin their life together. And then they have a big dance to celebrate. Let me, let, let me, let me do it another way. Sure. Let me, let me give you another example. <laughs> Magnolia is one of my favorite movies. I think it might be my favorite movie. And in that movie, there is a crazy scene where it just starts raining frogs. Yeah. But I would argue in that movie, there's been enough stuff leading to that that's kind of off, kind of weird, kind of off-center, that that doesn't come as like a total shock. It, it, in this movie, though, it just feels like it just feels too like two different movies mm. to me. It feels like you got you want this like gritty rags to riches or as some critics wrote rags to Raja, which I guess is a little bit problematic. <laughs> um, <laughs> rags to riches story of like him coming up as a child with this thing where like everything has lined up and fate and and it's all perfectly the stars align and everything. And I just for me personally, I get it. I get it why people lo- loved this whole thing. That I don't know, man. It just didn't connect for me, a hundred percent. And and again, I'm not saying this is a terrible movie. I'm just saying that whole thing just doesn't quite congeal. Mm. No, I get it. I get you. I get you. I think that's a reasonable uh, reasonable view. On Guys, this. it's okay to have debate. It's okay right. to disagree about stuff. We that's if right. I can get I, one message out to the people. See, but that's the thing. I like that the I, I kind of like that the structure is as neat as it is that way. Like you have the clear bones of them watching through the episode and the questions to pin everything on, and then as they go, they can recount that story of his life. It's just such an interesting way to go about doing that, as opposed to just having a story about a guy in India. Or maybe, maybe like this movie would have been far less interesting, I think, if they'd have just done it straight and not had any of that stuff. No, with him being I, tortured, if they'd have just gone through the story oh no i i completely agree with that if they had went just straight up in order it wouldn't have been as interesting i agree um maybe what i would pr- would have preferred is them they can still do the flashbacks in order but maybe cut to like different points in the taping mm-hmm. maybe like you know if they want to keep it in order want to keep it easier for people to follow along if they don't want to make people try to piece together the narrative maybe just do it in the fl- in the correct chronological order but maybe it's like a question later on or something just that part just ate at me and i don't yeah. know why jason it I just understand. bothered me that's okay that's okay <laughs> but that is that is my first big thing i wanted to just get out there and get off my chest um yeah, yeah. i just feel like there's so much grunge and dirt and nastiness in this movie that just the fantastical stuff it, it just doesn't you know what danny boy you're a good man um <laughs> but otherwise the look of the movie can we talk about the look of the movie because i think it's beautiful i mean the movie just looks great brendan uh, you've got shots of the taj mahal at one point you got the the slums themselves uh the chases through there it, it really is all up there on the screen and it really kind of puts you there i would say i mean i've never been but it it, it felt authentic to me yeah, and they use a really um, interesting way of shooting. I think because it looks like he shot on video, doesn't mm. look like he shot on film, and it has like a relatively smaller budget. Like it's a fifteen million dollar budget, mm-hmm. so I mean he didn't go above and beyond to get these like like huge vistas or anything. But well, but also and too filming in India, like your your money's going to go a lot further because you know wages there are much lower and prices are are cheaper. 
And I'll anywhere. just say a little dangerous, depending on where you're going. Depending on where you're going. That's true. That's true of anywhere, though. It's be fair. I mean, India nope, gets just around, India. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, um, and and I think um, there's this interesting thing where they're. I don't know if it's like where they just are. They just removing frames where it's do, doing that kind of weird staccato like slow motion thing. Oh, like where? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that just where they just slow down like a piece of film without having without filming at a higher speed? Yeah, I guess it so. I don't know. It just. Like, da, da. Well, it's like slow motion, but it's like jumpy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I like I'm, before watching this movie, I'm like, oh man, this Danny Boyle and the Danny Boyle of Train Spotting are going to be so much different. But I actually watched this movie and I'm like, no, there's some shit here that I could see him doing. In, yeah, it, like, it's both not movies. as out there as those movies, but you can definitely see the line from there to from there to here. I mean, you guys not trying to be 2000 era Guy Ritchie or anything, but there is a hyperkineticness to some of it. Well, it's like when you watch like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and you're like, mm. well, clearly this is the, this is not the Sam Raimi of Evil Dead. But even watching Spider-Man, you're like, oh, OK, no, I but can then, see his. Influence but then you watch in. Spider-Man 2 and you see that opening scene with the fucking tentacles and you're like, oh, no, this is Sam Raimi. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think you get I think maybe the second one, there's more of it because they had oh, more yeah. faith in him. Yeah, exactly. They finally could be he could be himself more. And then, movies. Jason, you watch that new Doctor Strange movie, and that is Sam Raimi through and through. That's so. I'm so glad to hear that. I might actually have to see that. At some oh, point. You, yeah, definitely for sure. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's it's got this like kind of grainy look at times. It's kind of cool. And again, it has that like gritty realism, and it kind of makes the difficult stuff more difficult. Hmm. Yeah, because there there is some uh, there's some there's some rough shit in this movie, Jason. Well, you you see how it works there at the beginning of the movie. Like you have this um, this kind of child gang that he gets re- he and Salim get recruited into, and you know they're out there on the streets begging for money or you know wearing fake eye patches and and singing and and doing. In fact, one of the questions he's asked is about a particular song and who uh, wrote it, what poet wrote it, and he knows it because he was forced to learn it. It's like a Hindu devotional song. Kid's a Muslim, so he wouldn't have known it growing up but he has to learn it sing it um which of course leads to a very dark scene where a kid comes in uh uh arwen i think his name is or something and he yeah. sings the song and then they fucking knock him out with like chloroform or ether or something and then burn his eyes out so that they can send him out on the street blind because blind kids make more money it's pretty fucked up yeah and they're gonna do that to jamal and they send Mali or uh, salim to go get him and, yeah. the, and then that's what actually that's one of the things I really like about this movie is the characters in it, because outside of like Maman, his goons and then the gangster later in the movie, like everybody seems to be pretty rounded characters with different ups and downs and things. I mean, you know, Jamal's our protagonist, so he's generally the good guy through it and through. But like Salim, like Salim is a guy that there's a lot of hills and valleys with him. Like there are times where it looks like he's totally going to just fuck over Jamal. And then there are other times where he comes back in and does the right thing. And by the end of the movie, his ultimate fate is him, you know, sacrificing himself essentially so that Jamal and Latika can be together. Yeah, I mean, he oh, he goes to some real low places. I I do think Salim is the most interesting character in the movie because yeah. I think that um, I think that Jamal is has very much like two paths in front of him, and I think Salim represents like the worst path to take. Yeah. Because there's, you know, the, go ahead. See, he falls down the hole of like organized crime. Essentially, he starts working for a gangster, and he, he's once asked, uh, well, "What do you do?" And he goes, "Whatever he asks me to." And at that point, yeah. we know that Salim has already killed a guy because he killed Mama 
as a kid, he had a, a fucking revolver as a teenager and they went back to get Latika and he murdered the guy right then and there. And the crazy the thing problem. about that scene, the crazy thing about that scene though, is like, it's, it, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Cause you're like, Oh cool. They killed that. They got rid of that guy and rescued the girl, but ends up when he holds him up with a gun, he wants money. Yeah. He doesn't just want to. He's there. He figures he may as well get that while he's there. I think he's just a pragmatist. Well, well, I mean, because they know they're going to need it if they're going to get out of there. They're going to need money, so why not take his money too? But I feel like that is a turning point, though, because when he does that, there's cuts to Jamal and Latika where they're kind of like, "Oh, wait, Uh, this isn't just about saving her." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and it's like you could have. I mean, you could have easily killed the guy and then like stripped his pockets and taken the money. But no, he wanted to do it to the guy, Mm -hmm. and. We, because I think that that's part of you know Jamal's awakening or not Jamal Salim's awakening at this point. Dude, that, Salim even knows to muzzle the gun. Yeah, put the fucking pillow around it to help. Uh, yeah, m- muffle it a bit. Yeah. Um, but this is a turning point because he does this thing, and now that it's done, I think he gets a taste for it because he starts really like carrying that gun around and waving it around. And we have that scene where he kicks uh, Jamal out of the. Uh, apartment they're in so that he can have his way with uh, Latika because he feels like he's owed it and he's got the fucking gun there so what's well, another like, thing oh. like I like we don't see anything after that but um we I think we're led to assume that he raped Latika yeah yeah or that well that, that she let him do it and it's essentially rape at that point. I mean it's like, still rape right because yeah. I mean yeah. he still forced her at yeah, gunpoint he, he may not have like thrown her out on the ground but yes it was still yeah sure. I saved you you should thank me now it's it's the James Bond school of sex yeah, the, the Super Mario Brothers uh, idea that if I save the princess, I get a kiss. <laughs> right. If I throw you into the hay pile, if you don't like it at first, give it a minute. You'll be That's fine. Right. Just, just let it happen. Yeah. That's the James Bond way. Don't worry about being coded as a lesbian. We'll fix that. We'll fix you. <laughs> But I mean, that's another thing too with Salim. Like, if there's there's a scene there where, like I said, there's, I mean, we can safely assume that he raped her, um, and then he has his like redemption arc, which is like, oof. Like, I get the redemption arc part, but you have to, you have to, <laughs> I don't know, you have to accept a lot to to yeah. kind of go with that. Well, it's it ultimately it's that so Latika ends up, I guess the like I don't know if she's like the girlfriend or like just she's some like the, side piece she was, of the gangster. I, I thought she was like his personal chef because remember when in later in the movie, when, when Jamal is like, cause he's basically looking for Latika for this whole movie, like at various points. And he finally finds her working for a gangster and he shows up and he pretends that he's like the chef and they say, well, we already got a chef. Oh, I'm the dishwasher. And then I think she's the chef. Yeah. Okay. Because I was saying that gangster. See, because that's what I assumed that he just said, make me a sandwich because he was, you know, an old school misogynist and he just wanted his woman to make him a sandwich. I mean, I'm sure he is. <laughs> but there was sure definitely something going on there because he didn't want to just let her go because she leaves at one point and sends out Salim and a bunch of goons to bring her back by force. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. You know, so Salim's redemption is like dealing with the gangster and letting her go so that she can go to uh, Jamal and he can take care of the problem, which he does by murdering the gangster and then getting murdered by himself in a bathtub full of money. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Cause he wanted to, he wanted to make sure that uh, we get some symbolism before right. he, before he died. Absolutely. Um, there, uh, so just to going to, um, and I want to talk about Latika in a bit, cause I have some issues that I want to talk about, but um, there is some, there's some really interesting, I think, social commentary. Obviously, there's something going. There's some stuff going on here, but there. I want to say the performance and the, getting into this, the performance of the guy hosting Millionaire, the yeah. guy who plays Prem. 
He's yes. fantastic. He is really good. Yes. Um, that guy's name is um, Anil Kapoor. Mm-hmm. And they actually originally wanted uh, Sharuk Khan, who was the actual host of mm-hmm. uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And he was like, I don't feel this would be a good thing for me to do. No, <laughs> I mean, g- given the given the twist with the, the host like reporting Jamal to the police and being the kind of the reason that he then gets taken away and tortured. And, and feeding him a wrong answer. Yeah, like, I yeah, can see why maybe the actual host was like, you know what? He, like he, he turned around and supported the movie after yeah. he defended it to all its, um, you know, detractors. But he said, no, I can't, I can't be in this. No, it's smart. And you know, it would, yeah, it might tarnish his brand as a fair host. If the idea that the host could, you know, be feeding answers or whatever. I mean, it's just a movie, but people are stupid. And yeah. But as I was going to say, so yeah, no, he's really good in the movie, but I also want to uh, point out kind of the, the class bias, right? Because oh, yes. ultimately that's what it is because he, the, Jamal is getting all these questions, right? And they think, well, surely this boy from the slums, like, you know, yeah. this slum dog is not going to know the answer to, to most of these questions. Not only poor, also a Muslim. Also a Muslim. Yeah. They, yeah. they, and he says, you know, I'm uh what do you say? He says he works in an Indian call center getting tea for people. Yeah. He's a chaiwala. A chai wallet, which, by the way, where are these call centers where I can get tea served yeah. to me? You say, I know lots of people that worked in call centers. None of them had ever had anybody bringing them tea. Now, I did have, I did work at a call center a while ago, uh, quite a while ago, thankfully, um, where they did occasionally bring you snacks. They had well, a snack cart, and you oh, just wow. got free snacks. Wow, but, amazing. But um, never never tea. No. I would have liked that. To it would have been delivery great. Service. Yeah. But yeah, because that's what it is, right? They just make the assumption that he's dumb. Well, and and the way that the host talks to him throughout a lot. Oh, of, so demeaning. It's so condescending and so yeah. demeaning. You know, oh, this guy's a T. He's a he's a T. Oh, who he's an assistant at a call center. Who has an assistant in a call center? Oh, you're the T boy, like that kind of stuff. A full basher. And what type of call center would that be? XL five mobile phones. Oh, so you're the one who calls me up every single day of my life with special offers, huh? Actually, I'm an assistant. An assistant phone basher? (laughs) And what does an assistant phone basher do exactly? I get tea for people and... Chaiwala! A chaiwala! (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jamal Malik, Garba Garam Chai Denewala from Mumbai. Let's play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, it's very condescending. And like you said, he literally feeds him the wrong answer to one of the que- the questions to try to throw him off. And he still gets it right. And then that, you know, that leads into him getting. I don't, I, I don't tortured. understand. I, I guess the, the motivation only comes down to he's a, I think it, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's because he's afraid of this kid being more famous than him. I didn't get that though. Like I, I, I got it. Motiv- what's his motivation for feeding the kid the wrong answer? Does he have to pay the fucking prize? Like, <laughs> no, I don't think so. And, but I, I get what you're saying. Like, I totally think that that's what the filmmakers are going for, but it didn't come across very clear to me. Yeah. It, it just seemed like a dumb thing. And then at the end, you know, he just kind of went on doing what he's doing and, and was happy for the guy or at least, you know, uh, or at least pretending the to camera. be, yeah, pretended to be for the camera. Yeah. I, I, I thought about that when I was watching this, I was like, do you think uh, between commercial breaks, Regis would give people the business? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something, son. You just, you gotta, you gotta go for it. Oh, you know, you I gotta go I, for I, it. Yeah. I think you're doing terrible. <laughs> you're awful. Why do we let you on the show? <laughs> oh, I miss Regis. <laughs> oh, 
Regis famously making Norm Macdonald second guess his answer and not winning the million dollars. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So and then and then of course the 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 people that torture him to see if he's cheating also just assume like, oh, how could you know the answer to a question like that? Yeah. And then Jamal turns that on his head. He's like, do you know the price of this in this market? Uh, do you know how, like what this is on this day? And they're like, what? Uh, I don't know. And he's like, oh, come on. Even a five-year-old child would know that. And honestly, the, the question about the Indian, ant, uh, the Indian motto on the coat of arms or whatever, I was able to suss that out. I think it was pretty clear to look at it. It's an early, easy question that even if you don't know the answer, logically, it's pretty clear which one it, it is. But that's the one he doesn't get, though. He, yeah, asked, well, no, the he asked the audience. What I'm saying is, is that the, I don't know why that, because I feel like that would be pretty, it was pretty obvious that it was A, it was truth. Truth was the, the first word. Well, truth does he not? But I think the idea there that he doesn't know it is because, because they make fun of him for not knowing yeah. it. But I think but, the idea that he doesn't know it is this idea of like, well, why would he have like gone by and see that statue? Why would he care? Yeah, and he's poor, he's Muslim, maybe he's not fully educated in the vagaries of the Indian state and its various symbols and their representation. It doesn't exactly come up in the in the slums very often. I will say the biggest coincidence, one that kind of bothers me that it's so coincidental, is him knowing what the the god is holding in their arm. And it's only because during the riots he sees like a kid done up like the god holding a bow and arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the only reason he knows. And I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> I was wondering, too, is that supposed to be just a kid dressed up as, as uh, uh, was it Ram? Uh, yeah, or, I think it's Rama. Or was it like a hallucination he was having? I No, I think it really is supposed to be a kid dressed up okay. like that. Yeah. yeah Which, yeah, again, was I was like, okay. Random. And then the kid was holding the bow and arrow in the right hand. Yeah, like, yeah, it was strange. Hand. Yeah, yeah. Did make no J- Jason was not saying left or right, just the correct hand. The correct hand, which I believe was the right hand. Yeah. Another uh, cool thing that happens during this whole millionaire bit is it happens kind of briefly, but there's a, a couple shots where you actually see Jamal's POV of mm-hmm. Prem during the taping, and yeah. the 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 picture gets like a little bit out of focus. The audio is a little bit muffled, and I was like, oh, this is like we're watching someone have a we're we're having a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. From their point of view. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And, I'm, and I wouldn't blame anybody in that situation for going through that because that's oh. an intense hot seat to be in the hottest someone of is, seats. Someone is chastising the fuck out of you. Yeah. yeah and just, you're also trying to win a million dollars. You know? yeah, 20 rough. million rupees. I should say. I mean, you think about Reed. I don't think Regis ever shit on anybody. I mean, it wasn't like they hired like physically, Jezelnik. like, like literally shit on someone. Get over here. <laughs> Get over here. Get over here. I get over here. I gotta whip up my dumper and take a crap on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who wants to get shit on by Regis this Thursday? <laughs> Who wants to get shit on by a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> I'm worth so much more than this show. Reminds me of that SNL parody that said, "Who wants to be groped by an eleven thousand air?" <laughs> and it was just Ben Affleck with a trucker hat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I want to talk about Latika for for a minute. Sure. So she's played by Frida Pinto. She's she's a wonderful actress. Yep. I feel like she's not a great character. We don't get a lot from her, especially later on. I mean, to be fair, that's it, part of Jamal not seeing her in a long time. Yeah. Um, we get a little bit of her as a kid. I would say a little more that their interaction because they're kind of like part of the group early I on. Just, but then she gets separated into her own thing. I just feel like it's one of those things where like she exists to further the path of Jamal. 
Yes. And maybe this Celine, is part of that fate that I was talking about earlier. Like she's yeah. there yeah, to, to further Jamal's destiny and to be there for him when the time comes to be the prize. It also just feels like, you know, when somebody says like, oh, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Which I don't think this does because I don't think uh, two women talk to each other. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think two women have a conversation in this movie, no. <laughs> but, uh, but this would be like, you know, this would come up like, uh, oh, but this movie has like a female character in the lead. It's like, yeah, but is this a strong female character? Let's just like look at this for a second because. I mean, she's she, strong in the sense that she goes through a lot and she's tough as fuck, obviously, by the end of it. But I mean, a lot of shit, does she but... really have that much agency? No, she's just kind of been going along with stuff. Like, because they have to go and rescue her initially to get her out of where she is. Yeah, and then she ends up falling back in to something else. Yeah, she's rescued twice. You know, she's rescued by Jamal. The the one time she tries to get out by herself, she gets caught again. And then the other time she gets out is when Salim uh, sacrifices himself. Oh man, has to give his life so she can leave. Exactly, and like you know, I just I feel like the romance too. I get why they need it in here. But it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel that strong. It doesn't. Yeah. I I didn't get the sense that there was. It was. I don't know. Well, I, I didn't know. get much of a spark between these two. I mean, there was a little bit, but it's like they don't seem to see each other that much in the movie. And it seems like it's more that Jamal's. You know, this is his idealization of what he wants. And yeah. this is a movie that's got to get fantastical elements and plays and about destiny and it plays out you know, like you would expect. Uh, she gets the girl in the end and everybody's happy. But yeah, yeah, as far as structurally, it does seem a bit, uh, it doesn't give her a whole lot to do, unfortunately. I mean, I will say that, <laughs> actually, you know what? I just realized this is actually our third Danny Boyle movie we talked about. I apologize. We talked about T2 as well. That's right. Transpotting 2, yeah. yeah. But I will say going back to those two, I mean, I don't think either of those movies had particularly strong female characters one way or another. Um, so maybe it shouldn't come as a shock to me. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't I don't know I feel like this character needs to have a little bit more to her, like as, as like an independent character. I just feel like she's so. It, it reminds me. Okay, this is a weird comparison, but it's like when it's like in the second Deadpool movie. Have you seen those second Deadpool? Uh, I don't think I watched it all. Surprisingly. Okay. Well, you've seen the beginning though. Yes. Okay, so the whole first movie, he had his girlfriend, and they all they eventually they got to get back together and everything. The second one opens with her dying, just so he'll have a reason to kind of go against the villain. That's what I mean by that. Like, I just feel like that's the kind of character that's just like she's there to give the man a purpose. Yeah, exactly. To be his his carrot doesn't really feel like anything on its own. Because she's yeah. a great actress, and she's great with what little she has to do. She is. I just don't feel like she has that much to do. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, if you want to see some great Frida Pinto character work, check out Immortals at your local multiplex. No, don't uh, check out Immortals. It's not a good the, movie. That's by the guy that did the cell, right? Yeah, it's not It's not good. <laughs> I'm sure it's beautiful. Knowing him, it's probably beautiful. It looks nice, and that's where it ends. Yeah. <laughs> and if you like to watch a movie where you can barely understand Mickey Rourke, well, you can pretty much watch any Mickey Rourke movie from like 2000 on, but that one also exists too. Was he an immortal? Uh, no, no. Was he just a guy, just a gangster? Yeah, he was just a gangster. He was like Harvey Keitel in The Last Temptation of Christ. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Jesus! You big beautiful son of a bitch! It was inspired casting to cast Harvey Keitel as Judas. What a stupid <laughs> bit of casting! 
Wow. I liked it because I love Harvey Keitel, but yes, it, it did feel a little out of place. He's but not good in a... that movie, Jason. He's not good in that movie. He's having fun, Brendan. <laughs> he shouldn't be. That's not the kind of movie. I sold this guy out. Ah. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Oh. What do you think about the um, the ending? Uh, keep in mind everything and everything brutal and unflinchingly real that's happened up to this point. What do you think about the ending? I'm fine with it. I like that it's an uplifting ending. I like that he wins the contest because he, they could have gone the Rocky route and made him fuck the last question for whatever reason, whether he did it intentionally or not. But And it's a total fluke that he knows it. Remember, because the yeah. last question is the three musketeers question. We went yeah. back to that earlier where he they love the three musketeers, but they can never tell you who the three mus- third musketeer is. Like, they don't know. Yeah. Jamal doesn't know. And mm-hmm. so he uses his phone a friend to call who he thinks is going to be Salim. But because Salim has given his car to Latika to escape that gangster, she answers and she doesn't know. And he just wants to know that she's safe. And then he's just kind of like, uh, okay, I don't know. A Aramis. And actually, that, me watching it, I was like, wait, isn't it D'Artagnan? And I'm looking through on Google yeah, and I'm like, oh, no, wait, it D'Artagnan is Aramis. was the fourth musketeer. Yeah. Yeah. And then because yeah, I thought the same, I thought that was a really, that was a wily. Like some of the questions that they were answered were kind of like, come on, guys. But this one, that was a wily question by having both D'Artagnan and Ar- Ar- Arwen or whatever his name. See, I know Aramis, D'Artagnan's yeah. name more than Aramis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I only know yeah, Porthos. Exactly. Brendan, I only know Porthos because on Star Trek Enterprise, Captain Archer's prized beagle is named Porthos. Is Porthos the one that says, a bleep, 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 that's all, folks? That's the one. That's the guy. Okay. Porthos Pig. Famous, famous musketeer. Famous musketeer. Pig with a sword. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it just, it it's clean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I sound like I fucking don't like this movie, and, I, and it's not the case. I just feel like... This is kind of like Forrest Gump to me, where it's like, yeah. it's pretty good. Like it, it. I get it. It's it's a movie that audiences like. It's it's a movie that you know moves along at a steady pace and goes from point A to point B, and it's perfectly fine. I just think the whole best picture thing seems overblown to me. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, to be fair, is most of the time when a movie wins best picture. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, we talked about it before, but I mean, how many? those best pictures that were made all those years ago hold up and have relevance in the modern pop day. Uh, I mean, for God's sake, dances, culture, I mean, for God's sakes, dances with wolves, won best picture over Goodfellas. Yeah. And like, that's the thing is you don't hear people saying, Oh yeah, my college buddies and I got together last night and watched dances with wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do want to watch that version on the Simpsons where Kevin Costner's literally just dancing with a wolf. Oh yeah. That'd be great. I actually do want to watch Dances with Wolves. I've never seen it, and I do love a good, like, kind of Civil War era, Indian Wars era movie. I like I like blue uniforms, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, Jason, if you're ever stuck at home for two weeks, add that to your movie pile. All right. Sounds like a plan. I'll watch the director's <laughs> cut, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's the director's commentary where Kevin Costner's just like, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Sorry for wasting your time, folks. No, that'd be, that'd be the commentary for, like, The Postman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that 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 movie, by the way, has a fantastic premise. Uh, I've never seen it, but the premise sounds great. That it's bad is a shame. It's apparently terrible, and it's also yeah. three hours long. That's also another problem. Uh, he was doing a lot of three hour movies around that time. He did The Postman, he did like Wyatt Earp was like a three hour movie. Uh, Look, there was Dancing an era, Wolves. there was an era where Kevin Costner was pretty sure that people couldn't get enough of Kevin Costner. Yeah, really. He's a good actor, but like a bit, a bit overstuffed in the 90s. Dial it back a bit, Kev. That Robin Hood movie was really long, too. Oh, really? 
it's pretty long. It's like two and a half at least. Damn. So yeah, um, and then yeah, so the big the big thing is that he wins. Um, he meets up with uh, Latika. They kiss, and then we just get a big old Bollywood dance number. Yeah, over the which- credits. I was like, I always feel like Eddie Boyle was like, well, we did this whole movie about Indian people and we haven't had a dance number. We should have one at the end. I mean, it was, I thought it was, I thought it was a fun way to end it, but I also think it's manipulative. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the whole, I mean, you could argue the whole ending is in the sense that it's this yeah. kind of like really uplifting ending, but it's also nice too. Like, I don't think the uplifting ending is necessarily a bad thing because we've been through a lot of brutality in the movie and grittiness sure. and to end on a positive note is a nice way to finish the movie. I know there was a lot of there was a lot of criticism from people in India though. Like yeah. people in India said a lot of the representation of the slums was um was bordering on offensive. Really? Um and I mean I'm I'm not going to say anything to it either yeah. way cuz I am fucking Canadian. I don't know what the fuck I'm I've talking nev- about. I've never been to an Indian slum so I can't tell you what it's like. So maybe it is and maybe it isn't. I will say that Danny Boyle is a is a white dude so I don't know how much he knows. <laughs> yeah. Well that's it. And and it, it felt it I mean I may be wrong but it felt to me like they they must have done some research for this movie like they he had did a lot of co-direct it with an Indian uh, with an Indian person. Oh, he did. Uh, Lovely Tandon was a co-director. Oh, okay. Was credited as co-director India. So okay, I think, so yeah, it helped with a lot been on, of the say communication with the uh, with the Indian extras and and all that. Yeah, and I think very much convinced um, Danny Boyle to to include because he was just going to do it like you know in English. And so, you know, American audiences would be able to, and they, I think they kind of convinced him to do it. Like, you know, you probably want to have people speaking like Hindi and, and, you know, different languages throughout this movie. If you want to give it that real, like genuine kind of feel to it, because, um, and it, what they did this really good in a movie I saw recently, everything, everywhere, all at once, where they had this, yeah. uh, Asian family and they were speaking interchangeably Asian, uh, Asian, they were Asian. speaking, uh, Chinese and English interchangeably to each other. Yeah. And I was like, that's so realistic. Like, I, I've heard people that watch that movie and be like, holy shit, yes, that's how it happens. Like, I think adding that aspect and having the subtitles and everything is a, is a good idea, ultimately. I feel like it's also an indicator of class distinction to some extent, because if you think back to Indian history, of course, we had the Raj when the British were in control of India. And at the highest levels, you would be speaking English and English was taught in schools. And it was, you know, it was the it was considered like the the language you needed to know if you wanted to get ahead so i think that's like a holdover where Mm -hmm. because through the movie like when we see them when they're kids and they're you know they're young whatever they're speaking hindi all the time and as they get older they start speaking more and more english and then when they get to the point where he's at his highest point which is being on millionaire it's completely in english uh you know except for a few words here and there terms that uh, the host uses and such i i actually was gonna ask that too i thought that was weird that the millionaire show in india was in english (laughs) yeah well but that's the thing is again english is a widespread language in India and it is yeah. absolutely a holdover from the British colonial period. And it is still taught in schools, I think, and, and is offered and is a language of business and trade. Mm-hmm. And it, and it allows the Indian, I mean, for India, that's the thing is that if you knew, if you could speak English in this world, you can interact with the Western economy. And that's a, a huge advantage to you as a person to be able to do that. And whether it's right or not, people still learn English there. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's why Indian people often have like British accents is because they learn British English. Well, there Dev Dev Patel right there. He's a mm-hmm. pretty British guy. He's a British Indian guy, and he's got a British accent. So there you go. Jason, I think uh, I think it's about time for a break. Sure. What do you think? Yeah, I yeah. think I could take a break. All right, well, let's have a Kit Kat, and uh, we will listen to some ads, and you will too. 
and uh, don't hit that skip button or your phone will blow up. And we will be right back. Break me off a piece of that age of radio. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Bits, bobs, bits and bobs, bits and bobs. I've got bits, I've got bobs. Jason's got bits, Jason's got bobs, Jason's got bits and bobs. I might have some bits and bobs. We have bits and bobs. Bits and bobs for you! Slumdog millionaire bits and bobs, baby. Straight from the mouth of two slumdogs like Brendan and I. Here's some bits and bobs. Uh, Let's see. I really like when the kids are running away from the police that we, it, it was fun. Like it was a fun scene. It wasn't just like kids being chased by police. Like they were literally enjoying it. They were like flipping them off at one point. And then we had the whole, like we had all like the Oliver like scene where all the kids are up on the roof and they start home alone in the cops and throwing shit at them. It was wonderful. Oh, by the way, that chase sequence too. Um, there was a note that Danny Boyle had, uh, um, was inspired by a Bollywood movie. Cause there's a Bollywood movie where there's like a 16 minute chase sequence nice. that is filmed a lot like that. And he's, yeah. he obviously didn't make his 16 minutes coward, but yeah. he did, uh, he did, he did basically, um, uh, homage to that. That's nice. I, and that's, that's smart. You, if you're going to do a movie about an Indian cast, uh, you may as well reference some good Bollywood films while you're at it. I mean, we even have in this, uh, we mentioned, uh, there's that oh well actually we didn't talk about it so i'm gonna talk about it right now we have that whole scene where salim is like running a a a toilet and uh uh, jamal is using it and he wants him to get out because uh another guy wants to use it and they lose the customer because guy goes to a different toilet because he's really got a shit and then it turns out there's a helicopter coming in with like the most famous movie star in india whose name escapes me but he's coming in and so salim fucking jams a chair up against the outhouse so that uh jamal can't get out but he really wants to meet this guy. So he takes his picture and he, and he holds it up and he jumps down into the shit below the outhouse oh, and, yeah. and like goes out through it completely covered in shit. And we have a great little scene where he runs through the crowd, getting shit on everybody and runs up to the guy and hands him the picture and says, can I have your autograph? And the guy kind of like grabs the picture, signs it, hands it back to him without saying a word. And he just starts cheering because he's so happy. That was a wonderful scene. <laughs> but then he gets his picture stolen and sold yeah. by Salim. Salim fucking steals his picture and sells it. And his only excuse is, I got a good price for it. Um, I, I, I was wondering what that shot too, because the way they shoot that, you don't see his face, like the, the actor. Yeah. Um, and I realized it's because that's a real person. Because that guy's still alive and he's quite old at this point and wouldn't have looked like he looked in you know the early 90s. Yeah. And it'd be weird if they had an actor playing that guy. Yeah. Yeah, they just, you get very brief glimpses of him. Yeah. But they do show some clips from his movies and you see the actual guy mm-hmm. uh, in those clips. Um, I wrote down the host is a real dick. Yeah, he is a real dick uh, on a millionaire. By the way, his name is Amitabh Bachnan. That's the character's name? That's the, that's the real actor. Oh, it's the actor. He, okay, Amitabh that, he, that signs autographs, yeah. That's the real guy, I mean, that they're talking about. Interesting little bit of, uh, again, another thing to history where during the riots, um, when Salim and, and uh, Jamal are running away, they run up to a platoon of like military police or military that are sitting in a, in a troop truck 
and they're asking for help. And they're just like, what are you doing? Go home. And these guys are just sitting there letting this all happen. Playing cards. Because those guys are Hindu nationalist police, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're, and they're happy to watch the Hindus take care of all these Muslims. Well, Jason, it's I'm just glad that police aren't like that anymore anywhere in the no. world. They finally got, they're finally honorable again, and it's a respected profession. The 90s was a long time ago, guys. Everything's yeah. good now, as long as you're yeah, winning. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty, uh, uh, of course... So when they're when they get involved with the mama and they're being sent out to get other kids and that one of them has a baby and Salim is like, oh, no, we got to take this baby. And they're like, we don't want to take the baby. And he's like, no, we get double for the baby. So you take the baby and or I'm going to drop the baby. <laughs> and so she fucking so Latika takes the baby because she doesn't want Salim to drop it. What an asshole. But that's just dark. Like, yeah, I want to. And, and because they re- and especially because they recognize in Salim early on that this kid's useful. This kid can help us. This kid can. And I mean, that's eventually what he becomes is that gangster gopher that he's just you want something done. Salim will do it. Yeah. I, I wrote down too this whole this whole child, like, you know, beggar gang um, ma- and, and Maman. He makes uh, Fagan look like Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Fag- like if Fagan you want to know be- the, the brutality of this. <laughs> Yeah, F- Fagan's a walk in the park compared to this guy. Yeah. Oh, it, it was la- a great scene, Mama, though. Mama, I will say Mama is less of a Jewish stereotype in that he's not a Jewish stereotype. <laughs> and then he's not Jewish at all. Uh, when they when they initially break out his kid and Salim throws the ether or whatever at the guy, fucking hits him in the face with the bottle, it leaves him with a scar. I thought that was cool. And they take mm-hmm. off. Because, again, Salim being this aggressive, outgoing guy, like he, that's one of the ups in the movie, that he fucking makes this escape happen, you know? And then yeah, they it, and then they go and they stow away on trains. And this is a wonderful scene of the idea that they're stowing away on these trains and selling snacks. And then every now and then they'll get kicked off because they're not supposed to be on the train. But then they'll just crawl back on the train and get yeah. back in. And and you have, of course, this is in India, so you have these trains which are full of people and people are on top of them and stuff. And well, and it's interesting. Well, and we should note right before that too is the moment where Latika is also trying to get away, and Salim grabs her hand, but then purposely lets go and lets her get yeah. captured again by Maman because he's always against her being with them. But he does but have they, these like punctu- punctuated like re- mini redemption moments too, right? Yeah. Like that moment that you said that he is supposed to lead Jamal in for Jamal to be blinded, just like that other kid was, because he led the other kid in to be blinded. Yeah. Uh, not knowing what was going to happen. But mm-hmm. when he goes to do with Jamal, you think, oh shit, is he really going to do this? And then of course he throws the ether in the guy's face. So, I mean, he does have these little moments throughout that you're mm-hmm. like, okay, he's not altogether bad, he's, but he's then a conflicted he, character. No question. He just keeps like upping the ante, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I like that scene where he sees Arvind. Uh, the kid that was blinded after the fact, when he comes back mm. to the neighborhood looking for Latika and he recognizes him and Arvin realizes that it's, uh, it's, it's Jamal. And there's it's that whole scene. bit where he get, it's a sad scene, but he gives him the hundred dollar bill and he's like, come on, man, you're giving me a hundred dollar bill. He's like, and he's like, yeah. He's like, well, who's on it? He's like, oh, it's a old guy with a girly looking hair and glasses. He's like, oh, Benjamin Franklin. And that's how we knew the answer to the question that was later asked on millionaire. Um, right. But I like the line too, where he, he, wishes him good luck or whatever. And they part ways. And, uh, Arvin just goes, I'll be singing at your funeral <laughs> because he, he knows how fucking awful mama is. Mm-hmm. Mama uh, never forgets. No, that's right. Uh, I wrote Salim really loves that gun. Uh, Oh, um, when he uses, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say also that scene I found maybe one of the more unreasonably 
unreasonable scenes when he goes when he's at the call center and he's using the call center software to try to find Salim. Mm-hmm. And he looks up the you know Salim and it was like a thousand names and then he puts the full name in and there's like seven or whatever. I mean, I guess that's possible. But does this does this software have every person in India on it and there's only that many uh, Salim Javeds or whatever the whatever his last name was? I forget. Okay, but if you if but Jason, if you're telling me to buy into the other Malik, shit, Salim Malik, yeah. If you're telling me to buy into the other <laughs> shit, you, you might you have to buy into this. Fair enough, fair enough. I, um, I will say that there was a scene in this movie that reminded me of Borat, and I will really? tell you mostly a point you made during Borat yeah. in that. Um, remember when we watched that movie and you said there's a point where he's feeding off the the idea that these Americans are so like the racism is so ingrained in them that mm. the, the most ridiculous thing he can do. And they're like, yeah, he's a foreigner. He's weird. Yeah. That's what he does. Cause yeah. there's a, there's a thing like, there's a thing where Jamal is pretending to be a tour guide and he's saying all these crazy things about the Taj Mahal. Yeah. And the American tourists are just like, Oh, wasn't well, it this? And he's like, no, no, the, those books were written by, uh, written by slaves. And he's, and they're like, Oh, okay. You must be right then. Well, no, it, it's actually, that's German tourists. He's talking to It's later on. He's with right. the American tourists and they, and that's when he gets beat up by the guy and he says to them, well, now you've seen a piece of real India. And she responds with, well, let's show you a piece of real America, honey, give him some money. <laughs> <laughs> the guy had some hard right. bill. Okay, but maybe German, but maybe I should I should clarify like outsiders. But yeah, right? outsiders, Western white dumb people white. that don't know the history. Yeah, yeah exactly. white people. <laughs> the call center gave me trauma flashbacks. Oh God, yeah, I imagine. Hopefully, you weren't in a room quite that packed. But no, that's <sighs> no, that's a petri dish, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed one thing that kind of stood out to me is there was a scene where it seemed like where Salim was like praying and he had the mat out and he had the, the, the headgear on and he was praying. And it's like, wow, did he become more devote to like more devotedly Muslim in the course of this movie? Because we never see Jamal engaging with his religion like that. And I wondered if that was going to like lead to something, but it just was a moment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember that part. Yeah, no, it was just just a brief scene where you see him like praying. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Like it was was maybe him being in the gang. Was it maybe a religious gang? Was there maybe like the idea that you should be praying? I don't know. I I have a question too. Is it a severe breach of ethics to have uh, the host of this game show access to the same washroom as the contestant? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. Uh, That doesn't seem like you two should be going and pissing in the same place. You'd think the host of the show would have his own, own dressing room with its own bathroom. That too. And you'd think also during each commercial break, they wouldn't like completely leave the set. Like, I don't think, I don't yeah. think that happens every single time there's a commercial. But break. also because of what his objective was, I think he may have gone to the bathroom intentionally simply sure. because he wanted to talk to him and maybe feed him the wrong answer. I do think there'd be things in place that would stop him from doing yeah. that though. Yeah. You'd think, but then again, who knows, who knows how, how hard they are about keeping sitcom or keeping a quiz shows honest in India. They didn't have the quiz show trials like they did in the States. Mm-hmm. True. And yeah. that great movie quiz show. A fantastic movie quiz show. John Turturro, baby. Yeah. I did like that scene where they come back to meet in the building. It's the first time. Uh, Jamal's seen uh, uh, Salim and Forever, and they're both like older at that point. Like it's Dev Patel at that point playing yeah. uh, Jamal, and he meets him and he immediately punches him. Uh, after having a f- brief fantasy moment of him just tackling him out the window, both of them to the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, no, th- th- that was nice. And that, but then he's like, "No, you just go to my apartment and we'll meet up, and you can live with me now." And he just immediately lets him back into his life despite everything, Salim. 
mm-hmm. because and it's, I think it's guilt too because Salim knows he fucked him over, and he kind yeah. of the, him and Latika took off and and left him to his own devices. Well, I mean, Latika didn't want to take off. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't it wasn't her choice in that situation again because yeah. she just kind of dragged along throughout this movie, unfortunately, without much agency. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit more on this uh, this this production here. Um, the screenwriter, his name is Simon Beaufoy, and he actually based this on a novel called Q&A by Vikas Swarup. Um, he actually made a few research trips to India, and he, he just went and, like, you know, just talked to children that were walking around the streets. Um, and he interviewed them, and he said, you know, I wanted to get across the sense of this huge amount of fun, laughter, sense of community that is in these slums. What you pick up on is this massive energy, which I get that, but again, I think they focus a lot on the bad stuff more than the more than the the community and laughter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, there there was a there was an interesting thing here because one of the production companies is Celador Films, and Celador Films actually does produce uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh, interesting. Which I think is interesting. Um, a lot of criticism came from people that were like, wait, is this just a long stealth advertisement for who wants to be a millionaire? But I don't think so. Cause they're, they're also saying that it's corrupt as fuck. So, you know, yeah. in this world, I don't think they're necessarily like, I don't think it's obvious, like commercial for them. Basically. No, what I, I'm saying. no, I think it was smart, Brendan, because who wants to be a millionaire has become a global brand. And by 2006, like if you remember, like for those of you who weren't alive at the time, who wants to be a millionaire was the biggest thing in the world in 2000. Oh, everybody it watched was, it. it. Everybody watched it. It was massive rating success. It was such a big deal. And from there, like it spun out worldwide and all these, including Canada, all these yeah. different regions got their own regional variations of it. And so it was definitely a game show that a lot of the world was aware about. So I could see why that was a, an option on their part. Cause if they just picked like, you know, a British game show or some American game show, like it wouldn't have, or even just an Indian game show, like that wouldn't have had the same resonance. They needed something global. And who wants to be a millionaire? It's one of the most global game shows there's ever been. Yeah. I don't know that this movie would have had the resonance if they had gone with like $10,000 pyramid. Yeah, exactly. And, and, oh geez, Dick Clark was not in good shape at that point. No. Um, even worse now, as William Hurt would say with all his emotion in, uh, the film winter's tale dead. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Bill Hurt. And Simon Beaufoy, actually, Jason, the name might be familiar because he also wrote The Full Monty, which oh. is one of Danny Boyle's favorite movies. Wasn't that the um, thing that made Danny Boyle like take a second look at this thing that he realized that this yeah. dude was writing the script? Yeah, no, exactly. Because he yeah, he loved The Full Monty and he said, oh, OK, OK, I'll take a look at it because he wasn't sure about it at first. Um, and they needed to raise 15 million dollars. They went to Mumbai. Uh, to get local cast and crew for the production, which is always a good thing. Um, the, so the casting direct. So this is how it happened. So originally, this um, um, Loveline Tandon was one of the casting directors in India, and they were the one that suggested we need to do some of it in Hindi to kind of make the movie alive, bring it, mm-hmm. you know, make it realistic. And they asked him. They asked Loveline, like, do you want to pen the dialogues? Like, do you want to write the Hindi dialogue? And he said, Yeah, great. Awesome. So we did it. Um, and, uh, and as they kind of got closer to the shooting date, Danny Boyle was just like, you want to be the co-director? And so lovely and Tandon stepped in. Um, and then, uh, he actually fibbed, they actually told a little bit of a lie to the Warner independent company because they said they only wanted a certain percentage of the dialogue to be in Hindi. And Danny Boyle was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like 10% of the dialogue is in Hindi. Like it's very little. 
And and the Warner president was like, okay, cool, approved. And then of course it was much more than that. But yeah. I think being Danny Boyle, he got away with more than a normal person would have. And the movie um, wouldn't have had, the, had had like the authenticity of those scenes. It wouldn't have felt, have yeah. felt real without it. I don't think. And I also think that's a that's a good example of using your stature in a good way. Yeah. As a as 100%. a as a renowned director in two thousand eight, because yes. Danny Boyle would have had some pull that that year. That was post. That was after uh, uh, twenty eight days later. Yeah. And as you know, after train spotting. Oh, yes. So, I mean, he, he was, you know, he had his thing. He had a reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think that's pretty much all I have, Jason. I do want to talk about the fucking awards. Yeah, um, please do. Yeah. So this movie uh, goes to the Oscars. It is nominated for 10 Academy Awards and it wins eight of them. God damn. It does not win Best Original Song for a song called Oh Saya, and I'm not sure. That's not the last song in the movie. I'm not sure where, where that song comes in, but it does not win that. And it does not win Best Sound Editing, which goes to The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. But it does win. You ready for this? Yeah. Best Sound Mixing. Best Original Song, Jaiho. So it's nominated in two of those. It's nominated in that category twice, and it loses to itself. Yeah. Um, By the so way, Jaiho is a banger. Jaiho is the last song of the movie, by the way, yeah. the big dance number. It's great. Um, it wins best original score. It wins best editing, best cinematography, best adapted screenplay, best director for Danny Boyle, and best picture. Sorry, can I just mention the score in this movie is really, really fucking good. It's yeah. this wonderful mix of kind of Western orchestral with a lot of Indian instruments and sounds and even like some some classical European, like like a, some Beethoven or Mozart we hear at some point mixed with like Indian sounds. It's great. And some like electronic dance kind of rhythms. I mean, you, it's it's a great, it's a wonderful soundtrack and I recommend it wholeheartedly. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I love all the technical stuff about this movie. Obviously I have issues with certain things, but I will, I will not back down about the technical shit. It's all, it's all great. Um, at the BAFTAs, it does go to the BAFTAs as well, Jason, and it is nominated for the following awards that it does not win. It is nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Frida Pinto, which is mm-hmm. a bit surprising. Not that she's bad, but again, mm-hmm. I think the character is very underwritten. Yeah. Um, but the winner that year is Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Woody Allen film. Uh, Jason has told me many times his personal hero, IRL. Sure. Yeah, great writer. Great writer, very funny. And even better person, as you say. Oh, the best, the best. Just the nicest guy. Yeah. Love him. Um, A feminist, you might say. (laughs) Sure. Uh, (laughs) Best production design goes to The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, Dev Patel is up for best actor, but it goes to Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler, which the Oscars. Deservedly so. Yeah. 
And it's also nominated for Best British Film, and it's won by a movie we already talked about and had a heated debate about, and that's Man on Wire. Ooh. Best British Film. Jason C. Documentary. documentary. Wins Best British Film, Jason. Wow. And it wins the following. The Anthony Asquith Award for Film Music. It wins Best Director. It wins Best Sound, Best Editing, Best Cinematography, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Overall Film. Outside of India, this movie is met with critical acclaim. Mm. It has a 91% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it says, visually dazzling and emotionally resonant, Slumdog Millionaire is a film that's both entertaining and powerful. Roger Ebert gave it four out of four stars. It says, it's a breathless, exciting story, heartbreaking and exhilarating. Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal said, the, film's, the film world's first globalized masterpiece. The Washington Post said, this modern day... Again, this is where it comes from. This modern-day rags-to-raja fable won the Audience Award at the Toronto International Film Festival earlier this year, and it's easy to see why, with its timely setting of a swiftly globalizing India, and more specifically, the country's own version of the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire TV show, combined with timeless melodrama and a hard-working orphan who withstands all manner of setbacks, Slumdog Millionaire plays like Charles Dickens for the 21st century. Hmm. Um, But not all of them were positive. There were a few outliers. Uh, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian says, despite the extravagant drama and some demonstrations of the savagery meted out to India's street children, this is a cheerfully undemanding and unreflective film with a vision of India that, if not touristy exactly, is certainly an outsider's view. It depends for its full enjoyment on not being taken too seriously. Um, and then some critics just outright hated it, like they panned it. Uh, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle says it has a problem in its storytelling. The movie unfolds in a start and stop way that kills suspense, leans heavily on flashbacks and robs the movie of most of its velocity. The whole construction is tied to a gimmicky narrative strategy that keeps Slumdog Millionaire from really hitting its stride until the last 30 minutes. And by then it's just a little too late. Interesting. So lots of differing opinion. I mean, overall positive uh, reception, but lots of different opinions and certainly looking back, maybe not, at least in my opinion, maybe not the choice for best picture. Mm. Jason, it cost $15 million to make. Do you want to guess at how much it made? $482 million. Oh, okay. You went way over. It made $378 (laughs) million. That's still pretty damn good for a movie on a $15 million budget. But Jason, they may have made a lot of money. And they may have won a lot of Oscars, but what did you think of the movie? What did I think of this movie? I, I enjoyed this movie very much. I thought it was a solid watch. It was entertaining. I didn't watch, I didn't, it, it, usually a, an indication of, of how much a movie draws me in is how few notes I write. And I wrote a lot less notes of this than I often do. Um, I, I, it's an entertaining, uplifting story. Uh, I, I think if you watch that with your family, you would enjoy it very much, uh, listener. Um, yeah, it's very enjoyable, for sure. I, 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 that's all I can really say. I mean, it's not, it's not bad. It is, it is great. So, Jason, I got the follow-up question here. Does it get considered yes, no, maybe for the list? Oh, that's so much tougher because, again, I, I think we had this conversation with Borat. Like, is this movie is probably financed by British money, but it feels. I mean, like, and it's Danny Boyle. It's Danny Boyle who is a British director, but but with the Indian cast and crew, like it feels well, very Indian. Dev Patel is a British star. And he is British for sure. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to give this, I'm going to waffle on this and give it a maybe because it does have an importance. It is absolutely an important movie and it is kind of a, maybe a first view into what some of India is like to people who haven't otherwise seen. Um, 
but also I don't know. I again, I feel like the the what the like hardcore culturally British movies would be more appropriate for a list of British films. But if this movie is considered British, then it is absolutely eligible for it. So I'm going to say maybe because I think it is a great movie that was enjoyable as hell and you know absolutely has a shot at being on the list. All right. Well, I I think it's a good movie. Um, it's a solid fine enjoyable movie i definitely liked this a lot more when i first saw it because i don't mm-hmm. think <laughs> i think maybe as i'm getting older i'm getting more bitter jason and and yeah. maybe the stuff that bothers me now didn't bother me so much back then or maybe i just didn't even bother thinking about it mm-hmm. i think just like looking at movie trying to look at movies in a more critical way also does like you know it it does kind of make me get bothered by some stuff more than more than I otherwise would. But I, I will say that I enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought it was good. I, I would not put it on the list. I would say okay. I would, I'm just going to say no. Cause I don't sure. think, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's good, but I don't think it goes above and beyond to something that I would want to have like immortalized. I think, I think Danny Boyle's other movie on the list is, is much better. Yeah. I, I, I would argue more too. Iconic. It's, it, it is one of those um, best picture winners that, while good, has not commanded cultural catch it in the years since. Like it, it isn't something no. that people still talk about in some way. Certainly like not. Even if, like, oh. like even if Borat had never had a sequel, people would still talk about Borat. I think, oh yeah. Ultimately. Oh yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, I think you're right. I think people still mention Wayne's World. Yeah. Well, and that yeah, was like that what won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been crazy. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Wayne's World. Like, uh, like I still hear a swing every now and then, every now and then. But yeah, no, it doesn't. It, the Oscars are, are famously wrong about capturing the cultural zeitgeist with mm, the, the, mm. the best picture winners outside of, you know, some exceptions, but yeah, I, I just, I, yeah, I just think it's, it's perfectly fine as a movie and I recommend it if you want to check it out, but I, I, I no, I wouldn't put it on the list. Fair. And there you have it. There you have it. So, Jason, we've done it. We've gone through Slumdog Millionaire. Um, we are now going to find out. What are we going to find out next, Jason? We are going to spin the infamous Wheel of Doom and find out what movie we are going to watch next week, Brendan. Indeed, because I have all the remaining movies on the Empire Top 100 list, except for one that I'm saving for the end uh, for a certain reason. Fair. And, uh, yeah. You want me to spin this shit? Brendan, spin that wheel. Here we go. This is very exciting. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, just by a hair. Okay, Jason. Um, this is going to be interesting because I think there's a there's a few of these movies on the list Ooh. that um, may be on the, a few similar movies to this on the list that may be on the chopping block. So it's, it'll be interesting to see if this maybe takes its place. Ooh. We are going to talk about the film starring Kira Knightley, James McAvoy, and uh, a very young Saoirse Ronan. We are going to talk about Atonement. It, well, I think it basically Saoirse Ronan tells a lie about a couple of characters and it gets real bad real quick. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, no. <laughs> it's it's very much a, uh, a costume uh, period piece, but I think it's very like, I don't know. I feel like it has an edge to it. So we'll we'll check that out. We'll check that out next week. If they're wearing Victorian costumes and say fuck a lot, I'm in. I don't think they're going to say fuck a lot, but there might be fucking. Ooh. 
Okay, I'm in. <laughs> All right, so there we there we go. We're going to talk about atonement next week, right here on this program. Uh, but until then, Jason, they can find us on social media. They can find everywhere. us everywhere. Tw- everywhere. They can find us on Twitter. You just type in FSAC Pod. Uh, that's is in for Screen and Country Pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for for Screen and Country. Do it. You can find us on any podcast app by searching for us for by searching for screen and country. And our home base, of course, is uh, Age of Radio. Go to ageofradio.org slash for screen and country. Just do it, man. Just do it. Uh, just to clarify, the web address is just ageofradio.org slash for screen and country. Yeah, no, no extras, but but just do it. <laughs> just do it. Um, Jason is also on Twitter and Parlor. Uh, no, I'm only on uh, Twitter. And you can I love Jason. No, go no, away. I, you're not no. even relevant anymore. Mon ami, I'm back. You're always back. You're always trying to get us on there. And, and no, we no, don't no, want to be. Just you, Jason, because I know your personal views. No, my personal views are quite progressive, and I don't think I would fit in there. Oh, come on. January 6th, it was Antifa. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, Antifa. Okay, I expect you on parlor. Bye-bye. Bye. Did he have a helicopter? He had a, a French jetpack. Oh, they, they, so it just got, made like propellers a, on them. <laughs> yeah, it also has propellers. Just you nice. know, in case the in case the engine fails. They're always thinking. Nice. nice, but I'm not on Parlor, folks. But I am on Twitter at Jason D McLeod. That is M A C L E O D. Stop on by and give me a follow. Do it. Do it now. Is that on Elon? Is that Elon Musk's Twitter? Uh, not yet. But uh, we're, we all got our fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that it doesn't happen. What? I'm wait. I'm finally. I'm so excited for total free speech on Twitter. I can't wait, Brendan. <laughs> Shut up. I can't wait for all the terrible things I'm going to call you and not get banned. <laughs> no, you'll get shadow banned. That's right. The best. Oh band. man, we're living in a weird time, Jason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the darkest timeline. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Check us out next week for atonement. I might sound different next week because I will be in a brand new location. Oh my God. So say goodbye to Willsey road. And that's all I'll say about the address. Bye, Willsey. <laughs> you can give the address next week and then people can go and harass whoever takes the apartment from you. Oh yeah. Gladly. Yeah. I would like that to happen. Actually send as much mail as you can next week. When I give up the address. <laughs> yes. But that's it. So I just, I guess I just got to say to you, Jason, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Slum dog, slum dog. You're my slum dog. And baby, you can turn me on. Millionaire. If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name If you come around here, I'll make them all day I get one down in a second if you wait I fly like paper, get high like planes If you catch me at the border, I got visas in my name If you come around here, I'll make them all day I get one down in a second if you wait Sometimes I think sitting on trains Every stop I get